Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with Lizelle Newton. Uh, Lizelle is the, the head of information security over at a company called Gossamer Bio. And going back and looking at your um, brief bio that I have here, I see that you've been with you know in the information security space for a few years now. You know, information security slash risk management. Uh, I think your experience go back to 2010, if I'm not mistaken. I see that you've been with some larger organizations here in the U.S., uh, held a bunch of uh, managerial positions, as well as uh, senior director positions before you landed in your current role. Uh, if you want to step in and introduce yourself, that would be super. Sure, absolutely. Nice. Good to see everybody. My name is Lisa. Um, like Ben said, um, I started work in San Diego um, after moving from Montana, um, worked for in the public accounting space doing IT auditing and a wide variety of consulting projects, you know, some extending into the InfoSec and cyberspace for a while before um, working for a specific company and started in, again, kind of the compliance and, you know, middleman between the auditors and the IT folks, if you will, and then just really gradually took space in, in, in IT, working from, you know, identity access management, business continuity, cyber, third-party vendor management, um, a lot of different, wearing a lot of different hats. Um, after that, moved to the current company I'm at, Gossamer Bio, where I'm the head of our information security function, as well as still having some, you know, data privacy, risk, and compliance responsibilities as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, it seems that you have a lot that you kind of wearing a lot of hats, you know, with privacy and, uh, you know, bits of IT, information security, cybersecurity, uh, I'm, I'm assuming compliance as well. We'll try to dig into that uh, as we go forward. Uh, before we dive right in, I always like to, to ask a couple of icebreaker questions, uh, if you're comfortable in answering those. Uh, if you could answer what's your marital status and favorite drink, that would be great. Yeah. I'm single, never married. I have an almost 15-year-old who just started high school yesterday, so that's he keeps me busy. <laughs> and favorite drink, oat milk latte. It has been just so hot here, so I'm in San Diego, so I've been drinking it iced and you know really trying to perfect making it home, but honestly, I'd really just rather buy it. <laughs> Great. And well, I think for the most part, the weather in San Diego should be pretty ideal, right? As far as I remember. I'm in a suburb that's just a little bit north and east, and it's so much hotter than if I were were near the beach. Someday I'm going to get back to the beach, but but I am very spoiled. I have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that you're originally from Montana, right? So yes, pretty bit more chillier there, right? It is. Like yeah, it. with how hot it's been, I never thought I would wish for winter again, but here I am hoping for winter. <laughs> Got it. Well, you know, I think I mentioned that in our preliminary call. The The intent of this podcast is to provide our listeners with some insight into the role of the CISO and, you know, the journey that, you know, security professionals need to 
need to go through and potentially to help some of the young listeners out there um, in finding their path. So it's going to be focused mostly about you, not about your company. And, um, you know, with that, I do have like a, you know, preset of questions that I usually run through. There might be some off scripted questions here, but, you know, we'll try to keep that uh, to the to the flow that we usually uh, follow. Uh, and with that, we can dive right in. Uh, if there's one thing you wish you'd known before you began your career, what would that be? Um, there are so many, um, but when, I, when I'm thinking about narrowing it down, um, you know, I think a big one for me is just remembering that I don't always have to know everything and I don't have to be the one expert at everything. Um, I'm always my own toughest critic and, you know, very aware of any skill set or other gaps that I have in my own game. And I think that's the case for a lot of, you know, type A hardworking and driven folks out there that, you know, they know the struggle. And, and I think for me, it's so important to remember that learning never stops. Everyone is always learning every day, even when you get to, you know, CISO and executive level positions. Um, I think remembering that there are experts and others in your field that you can rely on, you know, you can really leverage them and ask for help of others. Um, humility is always a trait that I, I really value deeply. I think prioritizing being transparent about if there's, you know, something that I don't know that I didn't know and just really being honest about my skills and capabilities and, you know, asking for help. Um, and I yeah. think, oh, go ahead, please. sorry. No, no, please, you go. Yeah, I think, you know, something that would have benefited me in the start of the career was, you know, really being more glass half full minded and focusing less on what I didn't know and being worried about, um, you know, that I'm not an expert yet and really focusing on what, what I do bring to the table. I'm um, just knowing that you're constantly evolving and learning. Yeah, and I think, you know, nowadays with information security, with cybersecurity, you know, that space have evolved for like, I don't know, for the past 20 years or so. Yeah. It's so broad, you can't possibly know it all. You can't be a compliance expert, privacy expert, you know, SOC analyst, uh, expert, or, you know, it, it's software, SDLC, just so many skill sets, different skill sets out there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I always like to touch on, like, you know, one of the, like, we, we talk about failures as basically sometimes as life-changing events that actually, you know, some individuals are able to take as a growth opportunity and a learning opportunity. Is there like one failure or like one biggest failure that you can talk about and what did you learn from it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh, I struggled to think of like a catastrophic failure, which I guess, you know, knock on wood is a good problem to have, but I have a million different little failures across the entirety of my career. And I learn a lot from each of those, you know, little setbacks. And, you know, as I'm thinking about, you know, trending of my smaller failures, a lot of the common denominators of those problems I had was, you know, the root cause being my my failure to have those difficult conversations early and often. Uh, I think especially in the beginning of my career, because I was, you know, trying so hard and really working hard and trying to impress folks, I, I had a tendency to avoid the difficult conversations or, you know, anything that I perceived to be potentially confrontational or that was going to make someone upset. Um, and as it always goes, you know, by avoiding those difficult conversations, you end up in a worse position later on than you would have been had you just, you know, raised something to begin with. Uh, and some examples of those when, when I was early in my career and there would be, you know, just 
things coming and coming and coming my way, my workload became unmanageable. I didn't have those conversations and kind of setting expectations and timeline early enough. So then there would be a delay and you know maybe holdups in some of the other efforts because I was so focused on what else had come onto my plate. And, and again, I didn't want to disappoint anyone. So I was always trying to take on things, not saying no. And, and then, you know, eventually, of course, people are disappointed when timelines slip. So, you know, really over the years, I learned to communicate, communicate, you know, early and often. You know, bad quote unquote news should always travel fast. And there really, again, should always be openness and transparency. Uh, you know, I really learned to partner with folks and really ask for help to, to troubleshoot and problem solve rather than always putting it on myself. And, and like I said, ending up in a future situation where it's probably worse off than it, than it could have been. Mm -hmm. Any, any quick tips you have for our listeners out there on how to prioritize your tasks and projects? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, so the thing, I always try to get off my plate something that's going to be dependent on someone else first. So if there's, you know, a task that I can give to somebody else, or, you know, perhaps you're working with a third-party vendor, or you need to, you know, run a report or run a query, start with the things that are going to be dependent on other people. So while they're working, you can come back to a different project that is only, you know, dependent on yourself. And that way you can have multiple things going at once. Um, and that, that's something that's really helped me to make sure that things are always staying moving and always uh, kind of in the works. Great. Uh, and what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I moved to San Diego as a solo parent with my you know, young child at the time, right after college and working through the public accounting schedule demands of me and being a solo parent without help. That, that one still feels like my, my biggest accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, raising kids is not easy. That's no, sure. it is not. It's true. <laughs> I always, my friends ask me, you know, when does it get easier? I say never. It's just a, a different type of challenge. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, for our listeners out there that are starting off their career in cybersecurity, and there's there's all so many competing spaces within this realm, as I mentioned. Uh, what would your advice be for them or just getting started? Like how to get, how can they get started? If there's like one piece of advice you can give here, what would that be? Yeah. Yeah. If you're trying to get into cyber, into IT in general, I would say just get your foot in the door. Um, the way, you know, I, when I first set out, had no idea that I would end up in the cyberspace. It was a matter of just getting started and taking, you know, a great position and then really running with it um, that, that led me to where I am today. So I, if you have an opportunity to, again, just get in the door somewhere, whether that's through, you know, apprenticeship, an internship, or any IT position, once your foot is in the door, it's so much easier to transfer to a different department, join a different team. Um, so really just getting that first opportunity and then moving around from there, I think makes all the difference. Yeah. And, and just to, uh, you know, to complement what you just said, uh, I think yeah. IT is definitely like the most traditional way that uh, professionals are, you know, that have started their, their career, you know, transition yeah. from IT into cybersecurity. But I think we're, what we're, we're starting to see in the last few years is, you know, some transitions have, have been taking place from like the development space. So like if you consider SDLC or like, you know, uh, security operations centers or uh, I think there are more paths right now. IT is definitely like, you know, one of these paths. And we, we can actually, you know, spot the difference when we talk to uh, 
you know, a head of security that matured from the IT organization as opposed to someone that matured from like a different uh, sub-organization within a company. Uh, but yeah, but definitely IT is, uh, is uh, I mean, I started off as, you know, in that space in IT and transitioned into into information security. But uh, I do feel, and this is my, may just be me, that if you graduate from IT into cybersecurity, you might be lacking some aspects mostly around like the SDLC part and maybe compliance. And this, obviously you can, you know, acquire all skills, uh, but you really need to like, you know, maybe you don't need to, but maybe, um, need to to have an objective of what it is that you want to do. Like, what's where is your passion? What's more interesting to you? Yeah, yeah. What's your end goal? I absolutely agree with you. And and you know, cyber's really been making some interesting advancements in recruiting folks from, like you said, a variety of different backgrounds, which may not even be IT. I was reading an article recently that talked about, you know, and I love this that they're looking for a diversity of education, experience, extending to no college at all. And, you know, I was reading about different backgrounds, like say someone's a psychology major and how that could lend itself to, you know, incident response and investigation and threat hunting, because you just have a different mindset and a different way of thinking like an attacker would and, you know, tracing different attack paths through, through the system and how they might move and operate than someone in a traditional IT space. So regardless of you know, maybe you're a history major, an art major, having that diversity of background and skill set, that doesn't mean you can't go into IT. In fact, it's an asset and could show, you know, you have a very different lens and way to look at the cyberspace that could really bring value to a company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree for sure. And, you know, we came to uh, an understanding a few years back that, if we want to hire a good, like good candidates that might become become good white hackers or what we call penetration testers, sure. we start focusing on gamers because we found that they have that mindset that we're looking for. Absolutely, yes. But anyway, you know, speaking about IT, I usually ask a question about then, like you know, the part of the information security or cyber security is part of the IT organization, and obviously yeah. there are two schools schools of thoughts here. What's your take on that? What do you feel about that role of the head, like information security, under the IT organization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mixed feelings and I've seen it a lot of different ways of course you know starting kind of with the cons I, I think when you have the cyber or infosec function in the reporting chain you know anywhere other than being direct to the CEO there's going to be you know potential room for independence issues that bubble up at some point you know if you if you report up through IT or say through through legal through finance what have you that top-down guidance is going to be given through the lens of what's best for that function and maybe not necessarily what's best for the entire company or for you know cyber in general as it relates to the whole company. So it's you know going to be let's prioritize this department's function first or their projects first rather than you know what's best collectively for all of us. Um, I think it's a little tough to receive the necessary budget allocation in that way. And again, it could just have a different lens. Um, you know, in that said, it, it's so critical that IT and infosec partner together. And I've you know, seen in the past where sometimes it can be a little bit of an us versus them mentality of, you know, he said, she said type of, type of, or they said type of thing, right? And in my opinion, that doesn't benefit anyone. Um, so I think really being on the same team can also help alleviate that, that type of situation and mentality where, you know, there needs to be a partnership, there needs to be alignment, InfoSec and cyber functions need to be able to work with 
really closely with IT, given, you know, like you touched on the SDLC process development, where we should be ingrained um, early and do security by design, but also really being able to partner with the whole organization. Um, so I think, you know, it comes down to relationships, having strong re working relationships, ability to collaborate. And, um, you know, if you end mm -hmm. up reporting up through a function, it's still a matter of just making sure you communicate your needs clearly and, um, you know, deal with any independence issues if, if they do arise. Got it. And looking back at your career, um, and you've been in this field for, you know, a number of years, um, what would you say, like, you know, brought you to the place that you're at right now? Like, what helped you the most? Uh, are we talking like, you know, uh, like certificates, uh, formal training, informal training, anything at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, it's been my coworkers who who have helped. So I like like I said, I started as an IT auditor and came up through kind of a compliance governance risk, and then you know gradually took space in the IT field. And I learned that and being hands on keyboard through the help of my coworkers who, you know, I said, teach me what you do, show me what you do, and whether it was shoulder surfing or having them you know kind of sit side by side and help me be hands on keyboard doing the things. That's really what helped me learn the most. And of course, certifications absolutely help from a resume perspective that companies are always looking for you having certifications. I absolutely value them. And they're teaching you what the book answer is, which may not always correspond directly to what the real world answer is. So I think the combination of both, you know, having those certs, having that training, having that learning experience. But for me, really being hands on keyboard is, is how I've learned best. Mm -hmm. And I do continue to, so that, that's probably the biggest help that has been, you know, and I always try, I always say mentorships need to be mutual. So there needs to be, you know, a give and take. And if they're teaching me and I'm taking their time to be, um, you know, for them to show me what to do, I need to offer, you know, mentoring, coaching, something in return, right? Um, and, I, and I also really rely heavily on daily email subscriptions, newsletters. Um, I take at least one webinar training per week about various cyber infosec topics it's you know like you mentioned earlier it changes so fast and you know literally every day so keeping on top of the trends on a daily basis is, is so important to me as well got it and is there one common myth about uh, this uh, profession that you wanted to debunk yeah um, for me I, I know you mentioned I, I liked what you said earlier about how having you know risk and compliance experience might be a good thing to have in in the infosec space and I, I thought oh wow that what an interesting perspective because you know i mentioned my earlier having imposter syndrome about not having come up through an engineering track is always one that's um left me feeling a little insecure so it, you know for me what i've seen is the use of the word technical as a measure of someone's individual skill sets and capabilities that i would love to debunk so you know there are a lot of folks use technical as a descriptor for having a deep knowledge of the you know inner workings of things. However, that a lot of times that's very subjective, very um, you know based on perception, and there's no specific measurement for how technical a person is. And you know I think that that word and sentiment is a barrier for entry for a lot of folks if they think, well, I didn't go to school for IT, maybe I'm not technical enough then perhaps they don't pursue a, you know, a career in cyber. So I'd love to see that decommissioned. There's such a, you know, a staffing shortage and demand in cyber. And, and I think there's a million different ways you can define being technical and being knowledgeable. And, and again, that's, that's so subjective. 
So that that stigma and you know kind of holding someone's background or skill set against them in a negative way, I you know would love to see see that judgment change and reshape. Yeah, and you know I think you're probably I don't know uh, I've probably recorded close to sixty episodes by now. And if there's one thing I've learned is like most uh, CISOs that I've spoken to talk about the role of the CISO as a business role, much more than a technical role. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. You have to. That's, you know, as the CISO, you you are, you know, kind of talked about being the middleman, if you will, between IT and auditors. And that's exactly what you're doing in the CISO role where, you know, you're, you're working with all the various business departments on behalf of the entire organization and you have to be able to speak their language which a lot of times comes from that diversity of background experience and knowing how each of those roles function what's important to them and and again being able to speak their language to relate to them in a um, in a way that makes sense from a cyber perspective yeah and, and it is true that uh, traditionally speaking CISOs if you look like 15 20 years back uh, those were probably individuals that graduated out of IT and you know they knew much more about what network is what's the OSI uh, uh, model yeah model is and you know all that and you know they knew how to configure a firewall and all that but for now for, for nowadays you know you have so much more that you need to consider that's outside of the purview of just you know configuring a firewall or I, not to take away anything that they did back then it just well, the role grew and it's much bigger right now absolutely but, and that's what you hire experts for so you hire folks that you know you rely on their competence and their expertise to you know, to bring that to the table and support you in your CISO function. You know, that, you know, back to my point of, I don't have to be the expert. That's, that's why you have a team and a strong team who brings that, the competency in exactly those areas. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. And, you know, let's, let's try to unpack this a bit more and let's talk more sure. about the, the role of the CISO and where it's going. So in your opinion, what, what are the main concerns nowadays that CISOs have in general? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in general, I mean, local to my day-to-day, -day, it's you know, making sure we don't get breached, right? So keeping us secure on a day-to-day -day basis, keeping data protected, data privacy, um, staying on top of everything security entails. So, you know, one example of that is, you know, finding different ways that I can teach um, all of the folks in my organization to be mindful of, you know, phishing, the business email compromises, huge text phishing is a you know, a really big trend that a lot of my users are experiencing right now. So, you know, really creating cyber awareness in a way that it resonates with folks and is actually going to stick with them. Um, that's, that's top of mind. You know, I mm -hmm. think globally, what CISOs are, and you know, myself, what I'm concerned about is, you know, the global conflicts, the wars, the impact to, you know, risk in our environment. I think that, you know, the Russia-Ukraine situation is, is a great example of how that, th that threat situation is going to continue to evolve and, you know, what those implications will be is interesting and scary. Uh, and I think employee development and retention is always a top concern. You know, how are we helping people to grow, helping them improve their skill set? And, you know, back to the gap of cyber professionals, how are we helping people grow into that space as well? And what are the 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 areas that so you have spoken about the concerns can mm -hmm. as a follow-up question do you, do you do you feel that there are any like specific areas that CISOs nowadays should be focused on yeah yeah i think a lot of companies are you know really still working through that you know keep the lights on current state while also working towards zero trust model and moving to the cloud and you know it can be really tough to 
to do both at the same time when you've got the same set of resources who are keeping the lights on while also trying to do a cloud migration. Um, I think, and we've seen you know, a lot of the Biden administration guidance and the, the trends out there is to move towards zero trust and move to the cloud. I think that's top of mind for folks and should continue to be. Um, and then, you know, back to the resourcing point, um, you know, helping people stay relevant as it relates to developing, you know, their cloud skill sets, their um, zero trust model skill set, rather than just kind of feeling stuck in their, you know, kind of legacy models. I, I think that's very important as well. Mm -hmm. And going back to talk about uh, the CISO and, and skills of CISOs, you know, I know we've spoken about uh, graduation from IT or from any other like SDLC into the, the CISO role. In your opinion, what are the most important skills that CISOs nowadays should have? Yeah. Yeah, like we talked about earlier, I think they absolutely have to straddle the IT space and the cyberspace and the world of business. It's it's a role that serves all functions in the departments and has to really bridge that gap between you know, IT, InfoSec, cyber, and your business counterparts. So, you know, like I said, being able to speak their language, understand the data, understand the processes, what matters to the business, you know, how are we generating revenue, making money, or what our business model is, and, you know, what are the crown jewels, where are they? That really drives the fundamentals of our program design, and, and you get that knowledge by really working with your counterparts and, and interfacing with the business. And then, you know, really having that ability to communicate, to build relationships, you know, advocating for what is right, which is not always what is popular. And then really having the ability to compromise and build secure solutions that, you know, are not impeding the business. It, I know a lot of folks see cyber and, or, you know, IT as the people who say no and who make everything slower and make it more difficult. And I don't think it has to be that way. I think there's a great way to find partnership and find compromise where, you know, the business is enabled to get things done quickly while also doing so in a secure way. Um, you know, to, the, to the point yeah. of politics, I think, you know, those relationships and, you know, we're, I guess, to that point too, you know, it's, it's tough to say no sometimes and tough to, you know, you don't want to upset your customers and have people be angry. So there, again, there's that battle to be struck of, you know, what's doing what's right and, you know, not being pressured to compromise our security posture because, you know, someone doesn't like passwords or, you know, whatever the case is. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, a, it's all about reflecting the risk to the business because at the end of the day, the CISO does not need to assume all risks. You just need to Absolutely. reflect it. Yeah. And, you know, understand, like explain the implications of it. Um, yes. Yeah. That's um, a lot actually when I absolutely agree. If, you know, I've kind of expressed the risk, I've evaluated the situation and the business apps, you know, is very adamant about wanting to go a different direction. A lot of times you can do the, the risk acceptance like you just talked about where it's, you know, perhaps in writing you're presenting here are the risks for moving forward with this decision. Are you willing to accept those risks or do we, uh, you know, and perhaps the business says yes. And, and that's a company culture of what the risk appetite is. I've seen companies across the board where they have, you know, a huge risk appetite and they're totally willing to take on a lot of risk. And, and that's part of the CISO's job as well is to know kind of what that come as a whole, what the organization's risk appetite is and, and then support that accordingly. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that, that goes back to the, you know, to my previous statement about the CISO being a business role more than anything. Absolutely. Um, and in your opinion, where would we see, like, how would the CISO role look like, like five, 10 years from now? Yeah, 
Yeah, what's interesting, I, I think we're really starting to see, you know, not that it was never unimportant, it's always been important, but there, that awareness is really continuing to grow and build. Um, and being in, you know, public companies, especially with my background in public auditing, um, there's new SEC guidance and regulations coming out for public companies that really focuses on cyber reporting, you know, breach and incident reporting, and then really wanting that cyber expertise at the board, the board level and the audit committee level. Um, so, you know, given that, I think there'll be a lot of demands for CISOs to sit on more boards, have, you know, the publicly facing role of speaking engagements. I think we'll see, you know, CISOs to continue to grow in importance. They've you know, always been important, but it, like I said, it's, you know, really becoming, um, the awareness has been more widespread, I think, than it ever was before. So even down to the mid and smaller size company levels. Um, mm -hmm. Let's yeah. talk a bit about the industry now. Uh, um in your opinion, what would we see in this world next? I know you've mentioned zero trust and moving to the cloud. Apart from that, do you have anything like, you know, trends that you're identifying that you're seeing out there? Yeah, yeah, for me, I, you know, I really hope kind of on that same note that we'll continue to see, um, I continue to support for the expansion of cyber across companies in America. You know, when you're looking at trends from, you know, nation state threat actors and attackers, a lot of it's attacking that American way of life, if you will. So, you know, transportation, food, power, water, you know, kind of those way of life type of models. Um, so that's, you know, really from, like I said, you mentioned the, the Biden administration's guidance on, you know, zero trust, MFA. And a lot of those are companies that, you know, set their own mandates, they can control how they budget, how they prioritize. So I'm really hoping we'll start to see trending and, you know, putting cyber at the top of mind, you know, really replacing some of the legacy architecture and systems. And, you know, when we look at some of the major ransomware and other breaches the last few years, it, it is in those areas, water supply, you know, electricity, some of the, the meat supply things, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping with some of these regulations and prioritization of cyber that we see, you know, security in general um, in that area. Um, yeah, and, and, and really setting those kind of baseline standards of, you know, what we're, Kind of leveling the playing field, if you will, on what's expected from a cyber control baseline, and hopefully between you know the SEC regulations for public companies, I'm, I'm hoping that'll really translate to a to a very kind of secure fundamental model. Um, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see where the world goes next, especially for you know all the cyber lessons learned from from the Russia attack on Ukraine. It's scary, and it'll be interesting to see you know how kind of that cyber warfare evolves over time and. You know, of course, there's the, I, I really hope we see cyber improvements in our in our voting system and voting infrastructure too, to help kind of continue to debunk misinformation and disinformation. I think there's just a lot of our kind of basic infrastructure could really use some cyber pickups and catch-ups. Yeah, and you know, um, t talking a bit uh, a bit more about that. So you you mentioned state actors. Uh, I'm I'm assuming you're you're obviously you're referring to Russia to maybe to, right. th th there are a few other like powerhouses out there like China, Iran, yes. and and North Korea mostly. I think. Uh, do, do you feel the the playing field is leveled right now? And do you feel like the government, the U.S. government, is doing enough? I, I know you know the Biden administration. Uh, um, publication that you mentioned and I know the White House has published something like a couple of years ago but do you, do you think that's actually enough to help level the playing field? 
Honestly, I don't. I, and this, you know, of course, is my personal opinion. I think, you know, the way nation states operate is it is the government who's controlling cybersecurity functions. And that's somebody's day-to-day -day job that they're going in from, you know, eight to five, punching a clock and doing the hacking. And that's obviously not how America operates, right? So the the government is really limited with what they can do for, you know, to force public companies or even private companies to take action from a cyber perspective. That's up to the, you know, the company, its boards, its, you know, finance functions, setting the budget and choosing how they're going to implement, uh, implement their cyber posture, their tools, what have you. So it's just, you know, it's apples and oranges to compare them just because of the level of control that our government can extend to companies. It is limited. And of course, that's, you know, we have freedom. There's, you know, you know, thank God or whoever that we're not a nation state, you know, <laughs> country, of course. And it makes it very challenging from a cybersecurity perspective, which is why we're seeing attempts to, to regulate, to kind of level that playing field and to put guidelines in place to really, you know, help as much as possible, make sure that we are secured and, you know, our bridges, our water, things of that nature, we feel that they would hold up to an attack. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you look at the... Uh... At organizations out there, do you do you feel there there's been changes in budget planning from previous years? You know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, securing sufficient budget for cyber is always always a challenge. Even in this day and age, your budgets are always limited, right? Um, I do feel really fortunate in my budgeting experiences that I've been part of organizations who you know see the importance and they do um, increase budget. I I think they're my budget has increased year over year, especially since the pandemic. I think, you know, with having to shift workforces to a remote working environment and then, you know, the security tools and um, processes that had to be put in place to support that, I have seen just an increase in cyber budget in general from that lens, as well as, you know, based on response to global threats and local threats. Um, so I think in general, we are we are seeing cyber budgets increase, which is fantastic. And and that said, you always have to make the business case. And like we talked about earlier, the, you know, here's the risk that we have to accept if we choose not to go down, you know, X path. There's always that behind the scenes as well. Okay, thank you. And what would you define as innovation in our space? Yeah, for me, um, innovation is finding ways to make um, taking action on cyber things more efficient. Um, you know, I think probably, you certainly for myself, and I'm sure a lot of teams, you've got so many different portals and different tools, and they're all doing slightly different things working together. But, you know, really seeing them on a single pane of glass or in one portal would be like the most beautiful thing that, that I could experience. I think, you know, continuing to automate and taking automated actions on alerts, you know, whether it's consolidating platforms, portals, you know, ways to make the engineers and the folks who are responding to cyber incidents, um, anything that can help them be more efficient and effective, which then helps us respond quicker, take action quicker, and then also gives us more time to work on, you know, strategic projects as well. Um, I think automation and ways to make life more efficient to me is, is innovative. So I, I heard streamlining and visibility for the most part, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It's always a challenge, especially when you have always. like tremendous amounts of data, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, it's always finding that needle in the haystack of all the data. So finding ways to make that digging through hay efficient is, is mm -hmm. always important. Yeah. Hence the, the importance of, as you said, automation and, and analysis capabilities. Absolutely. Um, 
Let's talk a bit about vendors. We're almost at the tail end of our time today, or of our episode, almost out of time today. Um, you know, just put yourself in a shoe, in, in the shoes of a vendor, just for a moment. What's the one promise to yourself that you, you know, that to never do? Oh, that's a good question. To never do. Um, you know, as a vendor, gosh, I get blown up all day, every day, whether it's LinkedIn or emails and, um, I think that, you know, just the cold calls without kind of a value prop is something that I would not do. So I, I always love the phrase, the what's in it for me. You know, I think what they should do is, you know, really offering that value proposition. Here's what I could bring to the table. Here's how I could support you. And, you know, maybe that's by building network connections. Maybe it's, you know, a knowledge share, but having some sort of value and showing that up front and kind of building that trusted relationship, that's really what I'm looking for in a vendor. So I think the, you know, what not to do is coming with nothing, just, hey, here's this product, you should buy it. It's like, okay, but but what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, sounds reasonable. And what it is what is it that you are looking for in a vendor then? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, really having that trusted relationship and them becoming the go-to advisor. And, and there's a bit of work, I understand that maybe that's not feasible for all folks, but, you know, once I have that trusted relationship, then I will reach out when I have a time of need. And, you know, if I've got this pre-existing relationship with a person and, and I trust their competency, their, you know, how that they're respectful and they're going to help me, they become top of mind when I know I need to reach out. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that for me is really what I'm looking for is a partner who's, you know, maybe in it for the long haul and not just for my current company, but, you know, eventually I'll move to another company and and I could take vendors with me if that kind of pre-existing relationship is there. So I think, you know, really building that um, and seeing it through over the span of multiple years is so important. Yeah, for sure. And uh, any any influencers that you look up to, any, you know, specific people in the industry that you wanted to mention or, or doesn't have to be in the industry, just in general? Yeah, I think, you know, I mentioned my coworkers earlier. I've had so many different, you know, influential folks across my entire life, whether it's, you know, professors in college who encouraged me and helped me along the way, or, you know, coworkers, colleagues, and, you know, bosses at prior jobs who, you know, really gave me encouragement, helped me build professional confidence, you know, ongoing mentoring and encouragement. I think, you know, my boss at my last company specifically, you know, I always felt that he had my back and I was very secure in that relationship, which then helped me kind of expand beyond my comfort zone because I knew, you know, there's a safety net of someone who's going to have my back. Um, and then I guess out there in the industry, you know, I really respect Chris Krabs and what he's done, you know, publicly from an ethics perspective. I think he set such an incredible example of, you know, publicly speaking up for, you know, what the cyber data and the facts said, you know, even when facing the extreme pressure to do the opposite. So I, I think just from a moral and ethical perspective, I, I love that and it set a great example for the rest of us. Thank you. What's the best way to connect with you online? Yeah, um, you know, email or LinkedIn. Like I, I mentioned, I do get a lot of vendor contacts, but I do look at the look at the messages. I try to respond. I can't say that I respond to every single one, but you know, keep it coming, and I'm happy to connect with folks in that way. Yeah. To be honest, I just stopped, uh, you know, responding to any LinkedIn requests. It just uh, it's become so it's hard. Yeah, so hard right now. It's I mean, so 
I mean, so much time like is wasted just reading reading those notes, and everybody wants you to meet with you today or tomorrow for fifteen minutes, and it's like, yes. you know, we don't really need software development at the moment. <laughs> Right. Well, and then my, my cyber, like trust nobody brain go, hat goes on and I'm like, oh, is this a bot? Is this a real person? Are they trying to do reconnaissance on me? Yeah. <laughs> I get the trust nobody hat and then, yeah. <laughs> well, one almost final question. If you have, if you had, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Yes, I love this question. I would love to have a giant farm with all the baby chickens and little baby farm animals as possible, a million varieties of plants and, and animals that would just be living my best life. Um, would love to do like, you know, rescue of animals and pet them and play with them all day long. Okay, nice. Interesting. Uh, so I get it. You're a vegetarian then? Yes, yes. That's my, my shameless vegetarian plug of, you know, having chickens really taught me that all animals have, you know, feelings and emotions, even down to little chickens. So I would love to be able to share that with the world too, of, you know, seeing that all animals have feelings. It's my, my vegetarian plug for the day. <laughs> Got it. Um, well, anything, I mean, before we wrap this up, uh, anything else you wanted to mention here? Um, any words of wisdom? Yeah, I... I'm trying to think in general, we covered so many areas. It was a great conversation. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, keep learning, keeping motivated. And, you know, if there's an area that you're trying to expand into or grow into, you know, reach out for help. Don't, don't be afraid to reach out to others. So that was a great lesson that I received is, you know, you have to be the one to ask for help. And the worst they could do is say no. And then you're in the same place you are now. But, you know, being able to be brave enough to take that step and, Maybe it's reaching out to someone on LinkedIn and say, hey, I really, you know, admire your work. I'm trying to get into the field too. Do you have any advice? Could you work with me? You know, I think asking for mentors and then, you know, I, Michelle Obama has a great point on one of her podcasts too, that remembering mentorship is reciprocal. So being, mm -hmm. you know, able to offer something in return, whatever that, that might be. And perhaps that's down the road too. But, you know, I think really going for, you have to be your own best advocate. No one else is going to do it for us. So you know, really going for what you want and taking the steps to get there. That's my my advice for the day. Thank you. Yeah, and I have to uh, emphasize what you just said. I think from, you know, all of my conversations lately in the past two years, uh, I think people are much more receptive if you reach out to them and ask for assistance, as you mentioned, like mentorship or any kind of assistance, they're much more receptive than if you try to sell them anything. Not, Absolutely. Not, yes. not, yeah, not to uh, insinuate that, this is this should be a strategy in trying to sell them something good point <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh okay great uh thank you so much for uh, taking the time today Lizelle. i had uh yeah. i had fun having this conversation with you and you. hopefully your you know the insights that you've uh you've provided here would resonate with some of our listeners hopefully at least one yes <laughs> and if not then it was a great chat as well thank you so much